Jesus, don't cry. You can rely on me, honey. Yeah. All right, everyone. Welcome to another belated uh, episode of the AXPX podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeRager. Thanks for being patient and waiting, uh, waiting all this time. I know you've been waiting on on your on pins and needles for a new show. Um, gonna clear up some business uh, here, and then we'll move on with the show. I, I've been wanting to have like a co-host, kind of someone to bounce things off with, and. Uh, I've been talking with uh, Joey Avalos quite a bit, and I figured I'd extend the invitation to him to be kind of the uh, the resident co-host. So I got Joey. Hello. <laughs> what's up, man? Uh, what's going on, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. Living it up in Arizona and uh, enjoying the fall weather of 80 degrees. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, <laughs> you can't complain. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, and I'm in Southern California, so it's. Uh, you know, we're, we've been enjoying some nice weather too. You know, it's been dipping down in the 40s overnight, so I may have to cover up the citrus tree, trees. Oh yeah. Other than that, <laughs> <laughs> doing pretty good. Um, all right, well, uh, yeah, um, Joey, man, thanks for uh, you know being the the resident uh, co-host. I guess, I guess. Um, well, th- well, thanks for inviting me, Sean. You know, I appreciate it. We kind of have a lot in common. Like we have a lot in common. We kind of are on this little philosophical journey uh, around the same time and same point in our lives. We've known each other for quite a while, so it's it's kind of a good fit, you know, to to bounce things off you. So the the thing is, like you know, every week, um, uh, Joey will be joining us on the show. I may have uh, interviews and stuff like that that may um, take precedence over having Joey in the whole show. But we'll, we'll see. I'm kind of just playing it by ear, but I have some interesting interviews, uh, that are hopefully taking shape. I'm trying to get a hold of, uh, a guy who has a paranormal, uh, he's like a paranormal researcher and he actually goes in to people's houses and sees it, you know, uses all his stuff and sees that there is a ghost and stuff like that. And he takes it very seriously. He actually operates on, uh, on donations as opposed to charging people. So I was like, huh, this guy seems like, you know, the real deal. So I'm trying to line that up. We'll see how it goes. They haven't returned my, my emails, but I'm going to be persistent because that sounds fun. Um, <laughs> so, you know, stuff like that. Um, but Joey will be joining us, you know, every week. And then, uh, well, I guess we'll see where it goes from there, right? For sure, man. Awesome. Uh, this week we're talking about uh, healthy addictions. So we'll be going into <laughs> that topic a little bit later. Um, this week's show is brought to you by Deep Elm Records. I'll be showcasing a couple of their bands, uh, recent recent releases and then i'm uh in the process of getting another sponsor for the show and uh, it's it's charming beard coffee and they'll be doing a launch a full launch on november 1st you can go to charmingbeard.com and check them out and they're kind of a small roaster um disclaimer it's my brother <laughs> his company um but i figured i'd give them a shout out and it's uh it's really good uh i got a couple bags uh, already and it's like single origin small batch coffee so it's uh it's good stuff if you're a coffee connoisseur um so i'll be hopefully able to say that the show is sponsored by them I'm, he he has partners so i'm letting him clear it up with them but uh i don't require anything i'm just gonna say you know i'm just i want to promote the coffee because it's good stuff so um and hopefully you know with the sponsorship will be some sort of like discount if you listen to the show and you buy coffee and put in some sort of discount code, maybe, or something like that. So, um, I know that's all the house cleaning I got. So, um, let's, uh, let's see here. 
Let's jump into the news. Joey, can you hear the music when I play it? Yeah, I can. <laughs> awesome. Uh, all right. <laughs> yes, it's cheesy. Bear with me. It's all right. I don't care. I don't feel right like talking about news without having some sort of news music playing <laughs> underneath. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, the first thing uh, I want to chat about, and this is I mean, the week, the since I have been pushing things off for the show, and uh, the, the news might be a little bit um, dated, I, I guess, but... Um, this stuff that I've been wanting to talk about, so we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about this. Um, first up, uh, a Bible Belt Christian pretends to be gay. Um, Timothy Couric um, pretended to be gay for about a year just just to see what the response would be, um, and you know what the kind of struggles they have. And I thought that was insanely interesting. Um, let's see if I can play Why a clip. Our wallets tell us. Ah, what? shoot. Hold on. Stupid ads. Every <laughs> YouTube ads, man. I yeah, I love play them. a clip here. Um, before they, you know, play this clip, I'm waiting for this the, the stupid ad to go through. What What do you think about about what this guy did, Joey? What's your take on it? I mean, I don't know the guy personally, yeah. but I'm kind of surprised that he was surprised. I don't, I don't know what he was really trying to aim for. That right. you know, coming up from a very conservative, almost like fundamental upbringing that you know what their response were like his family members and uh friends and you know loved ones um so i'm kind of you know baffled on the point i don't know if it's really about the article's really about his surprise that he's reaction but more about his understanding of maybe his theology or his ideology is you know maybe a little skewed and he might need to change it because he has a different look on the matter let's listen to i gotta i have a this pulled up here this is an interview with him um and we'll just i'll play this and we'll uh see where it goes days five to seven eastern so i'm curious how did your family react when you revealed uh well when you first of all told them that you were gay and then you came back and revealed that you really weren't um were did they feel deceived at all were they angry with you yeah i mean of course i mean that was the hardest part of this for me when i came out uh to my brother and my sister-in-law uh they're the first people i came out to and it was early january of uh 2009 um i was so unnerved by the experience i went outside and and threw up it was the first time i'd become physically sick because of my nerves uh my family acted as lovingly as they could they they were held captive though to the same mindset that i was and they didn't know how to handle having a gay son or a gay brother my mom even wrote in her journal the day that i came out that she would rather have been told that she had terminal cancer than Uh. have a gay son however i I have to say this she did come around she's an ally of the lgbt community now and one of the most gracious women i've ever met so she learned a lot from the process as well tell me what made you do this i had a friend who i had known for a uh, short while who came out of the closet to me uh, and told me that her parents had disowned her brutally. And so uh, in the process of that, my reaction wasn't much more loving than her parents. Uh, and as she left that situation at karaoke where she told me, um, I had this epiphany that the voice inside my head telling me that I needed to uh, preach at her and try to convert her wasn't God. It was this spiritual programming inside of me from two decades inside the hyper-conservative Christian church. So has your interpretation of the Bible actually changed on homosexuality? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. I don't think there's any other way at this point that I could look at Scripture. I look at it more contextually uh, than uh, than literally now. So, 
All right, so uh, so that's a little you know little news clip there explaining it, and uh, you know I almost think that maybe some Christian circles need this type of thing. He's actually wrote his experience down uh, and and made a book called The Cross and the Closet, and uh, mm. I just think it's really interesting um, that he did that. And I'll post a link to the story on in the show notes here. And uh, do you I mean do you think the Christian community is so blinded by this that they need that they needed this type of thing to shake things up or do you you know what yeah my my opinion on it is that when you say christian community you it depends on what christians you're talking about you right. know i don't i've learned through my studies and just understanding other people's beliefs and how they i mean think about how many different denominations they are you know and they all uh say that they have the right one you know the right uh, interpretation of god's word and you know and i've been actually fascinated this might bring up into another segment about jesus wife story that you've been wanting to talk about right, but right right I've been, I've been fascinated with this um back in 1985 uh, a group of scholars that created this thing called the jesus seminar you know and about liberal christians you know um which they disbanded not too long ago, but um, but anyways, to say that you know to put all Christians in one category, you know, it'd be kind of uh, I think some need it, you know, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a completely you know it's hard to tell that it, how effective it is because it depends on I think a lot has to do with personality and how open people are to change because I mean you could tell someone blue in the face if they completely believe in something. No matter what, even this or you know deception a little bit. And prove that you know they're <clears throat> that they might be ignorant into their ideology. You know who knows? It may be just be a case by case basis. You know, still yeah. even with this, I'm sure Christians are saying like, I don't. You know, it doesn't change how I feel. So I think it might be a case by case. You know, situation. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um. Yeah. You know. I, I, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to actually checking out his book. I'll definitely check it out. And uh, oh yeah, for sure. And see where it goes. All right. Next up on our list of news here, uh, like like you briefly mentioned here that the uh, so there was a documentary. Uh, about uh, the whole Jesus wife um, papyrus uh, that was found. That documentary has been delayed <laughs> because there's uh, there's uh, uh, they found a typo in the text. And a religious scholar uh, uh, they doubt the veracity of the of the papyrus text because um, he says that it uh, it has a typo in there. So because of that, um, they're saying that po- possibly this is a fake based on a typo. So, uh, for those of you, you know, kind of new to this, this issue, there was a fra- like a small little fragment that was quote unquote found, um, that, per- that said in the text that Jesus had a wife. I'm looking for the translation. Now, all, all it says is, uh, Jesus said to them, my wife, dot, dot, dot. That's all, really all it says. Um, so this uh, this guy named I'm trying to find his first name here. His last name's uh, Goodacre. Uh, Mark Goodacre says that my personal view on this fragment, if I had to put money on it, is that I'm pretty sure the papyrus is fake. I could be wrong, and that's only a provisional judgment since we've only known about this for a month, and now it probably I think now it's been a little over a month. But uh, yeah, the the documentary was uh, slated to air on the on I think on September 30th, but uh, on the Smithsonian Smithsonian Channel, but it's been delayed. <laughs> so of course well you know what's interesting is that um as as you i've been kind of following a, a blog that we always talk about bart ehrman mm-hmm. uh biblical scholar and he's been keeping us updated about the 
the process and all of, you know, what the scholars are actually looking at and what they're doing. And what is interesting, I think, is that, first of all, the reason why they were skeptical in the beginning is just how relevant the the actually text was what it was saying say my wife but you got this little credit card i mean imagine a credit card yeah papyrus it's tiny. And a, <laughs> what is what is the possibilities that it actually says this you know and they right. find it you know so that's always gives you you know red alarm right there but on top of that i what what is interesting what bart said would be interesting is that more likely what happened is like there was a gospel of thomas back in 1997 mm-hmm. uh that had the same typo there was this, this line and it basically says that whoever wrote this didn't understand how to write Coptic because it's a grammatical error. Um, but there's also, but in the Gospel of Thomas, this is actually just a, a typo. Right. Okay. Well, but with this case is that, so if they date it, you know, more than likely it can't be older than 1997. Uh, but what would be interesting is that if they test the ink, which, you know, that's, I'm not sure where they're on that because they don't want to ruin anything because we have little of nothing. From yeah, the, I think you to, know. to test the ink, they have to destroy it, right? If they're going to do like any sort of carbon dating. Right, right. And the thing is, but the, what would be interesting, what Bart says, he goes, you know, he thinks it's a fake. You know, almost all scholars, they think it's a fake, whatever. But what would be interesting if the ink does date pre-1997 <laughs> because what he would say you know in a sense it goes it doesn't prove anything it just proves that maybe someone that you know in the past just didn't really know how to write coptic yeah. and made a mistake it doesn't prove anything it just would be interesting in the fact that the ink is older than 1997 which yeah. everyone would think is going to be 1997 and further on you know yeah. so. well, what, what strikes me is just the discussion that this out of this small little story, you know, someone say, hey, I found this, this huge discussion of like, what does it mean if Jesus had a wife? What do you think? And it was like, it rippled through the religious community. And, and, uh, it's just amazing that even the hint that Jesus possibly had a wife is just, it is, is a big deal to certain, to certain people, you know, uh, which me, like, I could care less. I, it's just fine. If he had a wife, he had a wife. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any, it doesn't make the words, um, right. The words that the New Testament quotes him as saying any less poignant, you know what I mean? He still said a lot of interesting things. So, um, you know, it's just pretty funny how some a small discovery like this can just uh, can create such a huge dent in the uh, in our society and the discussion, you know. Oh, for sure, and I think also on touching touching base on what I was saying earlier, there's some some very liberal scholars that always still have a they can't prove it, but they have a belief that. Jesus had a wife. And the main reason where they bring their evidence from is it through the Gospels, you know, that in each Gospel, there's the only woman that is always consistently is is Mary Magdalene, you know, the one from <laughs> Da Vinci Code, you know. Yeah. So that's always crazy. But the thing is, at the very end, they said, you know, the last Gospel, um, when she, um, you know, she thinks she's talking to the gardener and asks where his body is and that she could retrieve it. Well, there's a scholar named John Spong. He's the uh, ex-bishop, uh, very liberal from the Jesus Seminar, which we could do a whole different story on this. I think you'd find it fascinating if you haven't done any research on them. But uh, on the fourth gospel, you know, he says back in Jewish culture, a woman that asked to retrieve a body is unconceivable unless they are the next of kin. So making a statement in a gospel saying, hey, where's the body so I can retrieve it is basically other – if any woman in, you know, in Judea or Palestine back then, you know, would be able to say that, it would be un – you know, it's just not thought of. You know, it's like blasphemy in a sense, you know. So the only way they could do that is that she was his wife. So, I mean, it's 
thin, yeah. you know, but it's how people interpret yeah. the scripture. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and we, we weren't with it. We weren't there. <laughs> we don't know. Oh, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, uh, moving moving along here, uh, a couple more things to to discuss here. Uh, Billy Graham is taking heat for uh, taking the word "cult" off of Mormonism on his uh, on his website. Mm-hmm. Um, after, of course, this after he met with uh, uh, Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney, um, and uh, it's just uh, a lot of uh, uh, um, LDS writers and bloggers are kind of finding it kind of humorous, you know. But a lot of people on the evangelical side, such as Reverend Samuel Wynn, a method, mm-hmm. well, he's a Methodist minister. He right. said, uh, I will never again support anything by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And then he says, uh, my question to Billy Graham is, what's more important for the kingdom of God, politics or the message of Jesus Christ? <clears throat> so he's taking heat for basically, um, uh, not calling Mormonism a cult anymore, which before he met with Mitt Romney, it said on his website and it said in, in there, in any material you can find about Mormonism on uh, the Billy Graham side is that they did reference it as a cult. So right. pretty interesting, uh, you know, political move for, for them, but it, for Billy Graham, but it's, for me, it's not really, you know, that shocking because Billy Graham is very much a political, uh, you know, he's very much influenced by politics and stuff like that. Cause he's, uh, you know, he's always, he always ends up meeting with the presidents and stuff like that. Um, right. Um, so. And how how much do you believe that it's really Billy Graham? Do you think it might be his son? <laughs> you know well, what I'm saying? You know, like Franklin Graham, actually. Because, I mean, how old yeah. is Billy Graham now? 98 or something yeah, like that? Probably, I, mean, I would guess maybe Franklin Graham. It, of course, everything gets attributed to Billy Graham, but I think Franklin Graham's pretty much taken over that ministry. Right, right. So, um, anyway, you know, an, another thing, something, something that I consider small, um, taking heat, you know, by the <laughs> evangelical side of things and, you know, people taking, you know, but... but that's the thing. I really need to do a Mormonism show. I actually have a cousin who is a Mormon, and uh, I've been wanting to, you know, to have him on the show to discuss Mormonism. But I also want to have someone else um, who's not a Mormon. Also, I, I don't know. But then you got two against one. Because I, for me, um, Mormonism is a huge uh, is a huge example of a modern religion um, kind of taking form uh, based off. Based off a of con man, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, is it Jeremiah? Was it Jeremiah Wright? Jeremiah Wright? You mean the the no, president's? No, no. Was that the oh, uh, Opa. the guy who started it? I, I can't remember. Oh, Joseph name. Smith. Joseph Smith. Jeremiah Wright. Uh, Joseph yeah. Smith. They, the name start with a J. Um, yeah, <laughs> but um, you know, you finding finding these tablets, these bronze tablets, and that nobody ever saw, and he's the only one who could. Who can uh, translate them? They, you know, basically that's how they took created the Book of Mormon, and you know, it's all it's all suspect to me. But I really um, want to, you know, have a show dedicated to Mormonism, so we'll do it, and I'll I'll, I'll be on my best behavior. I kind of want them to, I want you know, to answer like, okay, here's the perception. What do you think? How do you explain it? And then I just want to kind of let that let that go, and you know, because this show is really not about being confrontational to people. You know, I want, but I want to have the discussion and. Just because I don't know, don't know a lot about it. I don't know how people can, um, you know, I just don't, I just don't understand how they can see this as just an, an additional book to the Bible when it's very much, uh, you know, a lesser book, you know? Right. So, all right. Ah, moving on there. I don't, I don't have too much else to say about that unless you do. Um, I, you know, with the Billy Graham thing too, I, I, 
I believe, and I could be wrong on this, I think he actually took all the different religions that they considered cult off. Like it was under like a thing called My Answer. Oh, okay. So I think Mormonism was part of it, but I think you just removed the whole page or information on that oh, page. Okay. okay. So you know, so maybe they maybe they think Scientology is not a maybe people can say that maybe <laughs> they think Scientology is you know oh Billy Graham doesn't think Scientology is a cult anymore. Right. And I could be wrong on that, but I thought <laughs> I read somewhere on that. So Yeah, well it's um, funny because the original yeah. article that I was citing here in my notes um, disappeared and it was off of, it was a Christian website and it just disappeared. Oh, well, so. that's brilliant. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. And finally, I, there's a science article I found really uh, interesting. Uh, it says that living, living longer comes easier. Uh, human longevity, largely a modern ph- phenomenon. So uh, I'm going to read a little bit of this. Um, a new study finds that humans are living so much longer today compared with the rest of human history that the probability of dying at 72 is similar to the death odds our ancestors likely faced at 30. So, um, let's see. An evolutionary anthropologist, Oscar Berger, and his team wanted to study human longevity in an evolutionary context, so they turned to previous gathered data on chimpanzees, hunter-gatherer societies in parts of Africa and South America, and numbers from the Human human Mortality Database for Japan, Sweden, and France. So there's a longer article here you can read about it. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, you don't really talk about longevity too much, or I don't really talk about it too much, you know, mm-hmm. with, with friends and family. I mean, uh, we just had a couple, you know, we've had a lot of, a few grandparents, um, my wife's grandparents, um, uh, pass away recently, and they're in their 70s. So I don't, I mean, I don't see anyone living any longer, you know, in my kind of sphere <laughs> mm-hmm. of family and stuff. But what do you think about this, uh, this dad? Do you think that, um, you know, we can start seeing people live longer and longer or? Well, it all depends on what science you're talking about. You know, I definitely have some friends that work in, um, work in the biology of creating, in a sense, the quote unquote, what we call him immortality of base, basically, uh, regenerating genes and and uh displacements of like say if you have a bad liver or whatever to be able to bio uh to bring biology back into it to be able to actually formulate the cells and mm-hmm. to regenerate yourself almost like a when a lizard loses its tail or whatever you know mm-hmm. um which i find fascinating science you know i i'm not going to try to talk about it like i know oh, yeah. what i'm talking about yeah. but <laughs> i find the whole you know science on that is is very uh intriguing at least even if it's uh, never comes into fruition in our lifetime. But I, I believe, you know, with what we've accomplished through the thousands of years, you know, um, I just think we can actually maybe possibly see some great things, you know, with science, with helping people. I think what's going to come to a head is how, how that science is going to, uh, come to, you know, with already stem cell research and stuff like that. How is it going to come ahead with the religious, you know, what yeah. we quote unquote the right, you know, of religion of, uh, will they allow this kind of science to take place or what will happen? Will the majority overrule them one day and be able to bring the science to uh, reality? You yeah. know, here, here's what I, here's what I was thinking about the other day, you know, if, cause people are saying like, Oh, you know, in the future we may be immortal, like immortality could be, you know, to, to an extent, you know, be an actual reality. Right. But it's like, well, if you're looking at their Earth as like, you know, um, if you if you're looking at the Earth in, the, in evolutionary terms, it's like that's going to cause a whole kink, the whole, uh, you know, in in the whole system because 
if we're living forever or even longer and you know more people and more people are being born every day we're going to overrun you know our already dwindling natural resources and then that possibly you know maybe immortality isn't such a good thing <laughs> for the longevity well, it, of the planet yeah it's inter- yeah, it's interesting man cuz i talked to my friend that's actually on working on this panel uh-huh. and and uh, i i brought up the same thing i'm like, what about food and stuff and he's like the way he brings it he goes man i live in the heart of new york city he goes and he described, he goes, I'm just amazed at the point that when I wake up in the morning by 6 a.m. and I go down to the corner uh, deli or shop that I can get this exotic fruit that is fresh off a plane. You know, they managed to get this here, you know, and I'm just more amazed by the power of the human condition that we will find a way to make make things work. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting discussion. I mean, uh, you know, what what would be the cost of immortality? You know, would it you know, could it actually be a negative impact? You know, it'd be interesting to. I always worry about you know the power of in the wrong hands. You know, yeah. there has to be some kind of system that so one certain higher power, the people that have the most money, will have this power over the people, and now we just have a different hierarchy. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Science fiction, good stuff. Man, come good on. stuff. <laughs> All right. Um. Well. Um. That's gonna do it for for the news. The news this week, um, some interesting stuff, and I'll have all these links on the show notes for you to check out, and you can read these. Um, and uh, let's jump into our first uh, musical break. This uh, The music today comes from Deep Elm Records, and you can check them out at deepelm.com. This first band is called The Sky Life. They have a new album. Uh, it's uh, coming out soon. It's either out right now or coming out very soon. I couldn't, uh, in the press release, they didn't actually, they didn't, didn't actually have a release date. But uh, the new album is called Canvas, and the song I'm going to play for you right now is called Granville. You're listening to the AXPX Podcast. I'll be back right after this. Should be born to kill them. 
getting old The ripples in the water all go like that And that was The Sky Life with the song Granville from the album Canvas out on Deep Elm Records. You can check them out at deepelm.com. I think earlier I may have said deepelmrecords.com. It's actually deepelm.com. And check them out. Check out all their bands. And uh, and uh, good stuff. A lot of good stuff from Deep Elm Records. Uh, they were one of my favorite record labels. Um, one of my favorite bands called The Appleseed Cast was on there, on that label. And uh, they're always looking for, you know for good, interesting stuff. So, All right, well, let's jump into this week's discussion. And um, the title of this week's discussion is, is, uh, is Healthy Addiction? The question mark. And, it, <laughs> and I want to preface this by, you know, I know that, uh, you know, addiction, like normal addiction to, like, drugs and things like, things like that is a very serious, you know, a very serious subject. But, uh, you know, I never have really struggled with substance addiction. Um, I haven't really known too many people who have, so I don't have that expertise and, and to even jump into that topic. And so I wanted to get it out there like, Hey, the, the, the topic of addiction is a serious topic. Um, the reason why I wanted to talk about this, you know, like healthy addiction and, and I'm, you know, curious, like, is it actually healthy? Is just because you hear people every single day, like, Oh, I'm, I'm addicted to, to, you know, white chocolate macadamia nut cookies. I just can't get enough. Or, you know, I'm addicted to Starbucks coffee um, and, and things like that. You hear it kind of used loosely, you know, in a certain uh, – for many people, they, they throw this out. And, uh, you know, some people are, are addicted to exercise and, th- and things like that. Or they just, but um, – so I wanted to just kind of throw this out there. Um, just, you know, oh – and I'll, and I'll get my personal – I have you know, my own personal stuff here in a, in a second here, but the, you know, the, the main, the, the first question here is like, you know, you know, uh, is there such thing as a healthy addiction? Like what, like what, what are your, what are your thoughts on it, Joey? Like, do you, have you even thought about that before? Yeah. Is it, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. What do you I think? Have, Just um, generally, honestly, like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. My general thoughts on it, uh, it's almost a contradiction, <laughs> you know, it is a contradiction in my mind. Uh, cause you know, if you really look at what an addiction is, it is a disease, and I don't know if a healthy disease is actually, you know, <laughs> is, is anything, you know? So I think, I think when you say healthy addiction, like eating right, um, yeah. you know, working out, you know, doing all that stuff, what would we consider, uh, healthy? I think it to any extreme to say it's an addiction or not, which we can go into a little bit too. But yeah. I would say in those regards of like eating healthy and doing stuff, um, you know, could be healthy addictions, but I think it's the wrong terminology. Like yeah. I think they're using the word addiction in the wrong place, right. you know? Now, the, the reason why I started thinking about this topic was because I, I couldn't find this thing in article when I tried looking for it again here. But on Facebook, one of my friends uh, put some sort of article that talked about like people on their phones and just – and the whole main article was like, Look, I came here to hang out with you. Put away your damn phone, <laughs> you know. Right. And, uh, and I started thinking about that because we live in a society now where we have our phones and stuff like that, and you know, in our hands all the time. And 
people like me who like I'll find myself just always checking my phone and my wife it drives her crazy and she's always getting getting on my case you know very rightly so about the stinking phone you know um right. and and so we're living in a society where people are being drawn to checking their Facebook, checking their Twitter all the time. And you see people in groups, like people be at a party, and half the people are just staring at their phones. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I was like, well, with my personality, you know, why, you know, why am I always checking my phone? You know, is it becoming a bad habit or is it an addiction? You know what I mean? And uh, so that, that's what kind of started me thinking about this and I've actually been trying to, you know, make it a point to not be on my phone as much. Uh, it is, and it is a hard habit to break because for some reason, I don't know if it's, you know, because, uh, you know, my circle of friends is spread across the U S I always want to see what they're up to. Um, and it's kind of, you're constantly connected, you're, you're constantly connected to people that are very similar to you, but they may not be in the same room as you. I don't know if it's that like the need for, you know, uh, validation of a thought or whatever. Um, so I, I, so I was thinking about that. Uh, you know, am I addicted to my phone? And then, uh, I'm a movie collector and I'm constantly buying movies and buying Blu-rays and always thinking about, and, uh, it almost can, if I let it go and didn't have, uh, uh, didn't have my wife who was kind of trying to keep me in check and everything, it almost could be a very unhealthy thing. This whole, you know, wanting to buy movies, new movies are coming out. I got movies on DVD that I want to swap out for the Blu-ray. Um, sometimes I'll just, if I'm having a bad day, it makes me feel better just to go out and, and buy something, you know, buy a movie and, and I like looking through movies and, and stuff like that. So I was like, well, am I, you know, am I addicted to buying movies? <laughs> things like that so you know are these personality traits you know addiction and and when and it's funny whenever people razz me about it i can and i'm i'm always like well you know at least i'm not addicted to heroin at least this is a you know and i've said it before this is a healthy addiction yeah. you know i'm not but if you look at it you know how much does a blu-ray cost and uh, it's funny because on twitter you even kind of called me on it. you're like how much do you spend per month and i'm like oh you know, i don't spend too much a month and then I sat down, I added up everything that I'd bought, and it had been, gosh, maybe three to four hundred dollars just right. in one month on on movies. And I'm you know, my wife doesn't she watch a movie every now and then, but she's not she's not watching all these, right? It's not like it's a shared experience. And uh you know, so it's like, yeah, you know, if I let this go and didn't have someone to keep me in check, this possibly could spiral into some sort of addiction, you know. Right. So I have some I have some definitions of addiction here. So we'll see. Maybe by the end of the podcast, we'll see if I have an addiction or not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we got a few different um, dictionaries that this came from. So it looks at the dictionary.com, which I'm guessing is the, uh, I don't know what version, what dictionary they'd be looking into. But it says, a state of being enslaved to a habit or practice or to something that is phys- uh, uh, psychologically or physically habit-forming as narcotics to such an extent that is it is that its cessation causes severe trauma. So that's the dictionary.com, which I'm guessing would be Webster's. Then there's the World English Dictionary that says, the condition of being abnormally dependent on some habit, especially compulsive dependency on narcotic drugs. And there's the Medical Dictionary, says that habitual, psychological, and physiological dependence on a substance or practice beyond one's voluntary control 
And then the science science dictionary says a physical or psychological need for habit-forming substance, such as drugs or alcohol. In physical addiction, the body adapts to the substance being used and gradually requires increased amounts to reproduce the effects originally produced by smaller doses. See more at withdrawal. Or number two is a habitual or compulsive involvement in activity such as gambling. So <laughs> it says gambling, but... Right. So there's two sides, and the whole thing is that when we speak about addiction, we're always thinking about the substance addiction. You know, so I'm reading this, and I'm like, well, you know, if I, if I had no nothing holding me back, I could definitely see myself being addicted to, you know, uh, buying movies or addicted to, uh, you know, coffee. I always have to have coffee every day. Uh, what, do, what do you think about that? Do you have any, any habits that you would say could possibly be some sort of a, addiction or... Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think as as myself as an individual, I'm very OCD, not to the point that like I check the door to make sure it's locked 20 yeah. times before I leave or anything, yeah. but to the point that I'm very ritual. Um, I, you know, I basically my day is exactly the same. I live Groundhog's Day um, <laughs> and I, I'm easily to be able to uh, – my personality is I can get obsessed with stuff. If something interests me, I'm not just going to put my toe in the water. I'm just going to die blindly into it, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so I have that kind of personality. So to the point of addiction stuff, I think more than anything, I think we're all in a sense probably – a lot of people do you know, with food um, mm-hmm. because you know, I'm sure you read into some addictions of, of studies on addiction where you – know, you know, I just read a recent article um, in the uh, – what's it called? The NIH, basically the National Health Institute of Health. Uh-huh. You know, and they're talking about the effects of, you know, it's a disease, in addition to disease that affects the brain and the behavior. But there's also, you know, on the other side of it, the addiction, you know, behavioral addictions are right. usually non-chemical, you right. know. Um, but it's also in what their studies, you know, neurologically is that there's that reward part of our brain that, you know, it's almost like, you know, you get into the maze and you get your, you know, your mouse going through the, <laughs> uh, through the maze and you get your reward at the end, like cheese. And it's almost like you with the Blu-rays, you know, your reward is a Blu-ray, you know, and it, it triggers that sensation of like, you know, feeling good about yourself or uh, feeling good, you know, and it's, it's interesting because you bring that up and uh, I hope you can interject to that too, because this is really talking like for you and, and, um, and with us too, because I'm always on my iPad, I'm always researching, yeah. reading. So the technology, you know, quote unquote technology uh, addiction, and what you think about, you know, you know, have you read anything about that? Um, well, I mean, I know that like with certain behaviors and things like that, there is kind of a chemical released in your brain if you. Um, I've read things like that, you know, mm-hmm. and but I can only really speak to like personal like like uh, experience because I've read I've read things. And then I experience, I've actually experienced it where, you know, having a really, really bad day. Uh, well, you know, this is, this is a really weird, uh, this is really weird. I mean, this is getting personal. When my, when my, uh, when my brother-in-law died, it mm-hmm. was a huge impact on our, you know, to the whole, our lives. And like, it seemed like, uh, you know, the one thing that I had was my, you know, buying movies. So like, it's, it seems really superficial, I guess. It sounds stupid talking about it, but the one of the I, I ended up like uh, during that week, I just went to Best Buy and just just found things that I wanted to make me f- somehow make me feel better. And I'm sure that if I had like a substance abuse problem, I probably would have turned to that. Right. But because I didn't, 
I turned to the one thing that always made me feel better to try to get it to make me feel better, you know? Mm-hmm. And it sounds really stupid, like, talking about it, you know? Because um, it, it, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like that would be, should should be high on a, someone's priority list, you know, if they have a family member, you mm. know, pass away tragically. But for some reason, that was one, I mean, I, I, I think I, I, I tried, you know, I tried to see, you know, maybe this will make me at least temporarily feel better. And then I, what I found myself doing was I found myself, you know, maybe this was just a state of grief too, but I found myself trying to find movies that he liked, you know, right. and buying those and trying to get as many of those as I could so I can watch those and tr- try to have, you know, spend a little bit of time with them. So, you know, I mean, so and then there's, you know, there's days where I've had like a bad day at work and, I, oh, this movie's out, I'm going to go buy it. And then I temporarily feel better. There's like almost a chemical reaction, like a, a sense of like ease kind of, goes over my body where it's like, ah, you know, <laughs> it's really, like, really strange. So this, this obviously there's something there, right. you know, and since I, like I said, I don't, I don't have the experience of an actual substance abuse problem, which is insanely serious. I mean, think like if I was, you know, addicted to a, to like, um, I don't know, like a drug or something like that. And I, and I had a bad day, I would turn to that. So, right. you know, it's kind of, you know, yeah, you know what, this is a healthier addiction. You know, I guess you can say that. You know, but um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's a very interesting thing, and I don't really have all the answers, but I, right, you know, and, and I would say if you're listening to this right now and you have something to contribute to the conversation, I would love to hear uh, your thoughts on it, and uh, you can send me an email. It's Sean S E A N at the AXPX dot com, or you can go to the Facebook page, which is Facebook dot com slash the AXPX, and and let us know like your um you know, what you think about this. Cause I think that, you know, people like us, since we haven't really been through a serious addiction, we're kind of scratching the surface and it's a very surface level look at addiction, you know? So, right. You know, and I think with you, uh, with you, Sean, not to get too personal on that stuff, but like, you know, or try to analyze your situation. Yeah. But I mean, what rings to me from an outsider is like, Honestly, at the beginning, you know, it's it's a coping mechanism, you know, yeah, of yeah. a huge change in your life. And then on top of it, I, if I recall, you know, the relationship you had uh, with him, it was it was you guys were fanatics with movies. Right. You know, that's what yeah. you had in common. So, I mean, it makes movies. complete sense that you would go there, you know, yeah. um, with that to definitely, in a sense, hold his memory or make it feel like he hasn't you know, uh, passed on, you know, right. and I, I totally understand where that goes. And I think, I think the third thing you said, you know, um, really holds true. And I think maybe that's a part of cognitive dissonance going on with most people that say, well, it's a healthier, dis- uh, addiction than this, you know, because basically, you know, if you use the word addiction and we use it loosely, but if it really is an addiction, then it is a disease. And if it yeah. is a disease, then it's not good for you. Um, yeah. so what we do is, you know, it's, you know, we didn't really talk about this too. I just got back from a, a seminar, or actually more of a discussion uh, at ASU. Um, it's called the Great Debate on Deception. Of um, uh, it was moderated by a theoretical uh, physicist, Lawrence Krauss, and he had a bunch of uh, neurological scientists there, and also evolutionary uh, socio- social uh, uh, psychologists and. Mm-hmm. And just uh, how we deceive ourselves, like a smoker, you know, a smoker knows the harms of a cigarette, you know, and they go through that process every single time to smoke. But what they have to do when they meet their logic, when there's something contradicts their logic, they have to convince themselves that 
it's okay to smoke this cigarette, right. even though the chemicals are, yeah, very addictive, but still the process of smoking the cigarette, knowing the facts that this could harm you or eventually kill you, yeah. you know, we all go through that and we all do it. I mean, we're all, you know, that's how we kind of the survival of, you know, of logically when we hit something that doesn't make sense or we try to feel like, cause we're self-awareness, you know, the self-awareness of us, we want to be right. We don't want to be wrong. So if there's anything that we're doing, we're not going to automatically tell ourselves that we're doing something wrong, you uh-huh. know, or this is bad because we don't want to be that person to, you know, it's really hard for someone to say I'm wrong or to humble, humble themselves and say, you know, maybe I'm looking at this wrong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, let's see. Um, I think we're going to be, I think we're, uh, let's see here. So yeah, so I, I think, I think what we can say is like, you know, when people say that, oh, healthy addiction, we probably say like healthier is probably the better term maybe, or, uh, but, um, I wanted to read a section of an article here. It's called a radical new definition of addiction creates a big storm. Uh, it's from alternet.org. And I'm trying to see when the thing was written. Uh, it was written a year ago, a little over a year ago, August 18th, 2011. And um, um, let's see here. The first paragraph says, If you think addiction is all about booze, drugs, sex, gambling, food, and other irresistible vices, think again. And if you believe that a person has a choice whether or not to indulge in an, in an addictive behavior, get over it. The American Society of Addiction Medicine blew the whistle on these deeply held notions with its official release of a new document defining addiction as a chronic neurological disorder involving many brain functions, most notably a devastating imbalance in so-called reward circuitry. This fundamental impairment in the experience of pleasure literally compels the addict to chase the chemical highs produced by substances like drugs and alcohol and obsessive behaviors like sex, food, and gambling. Uh, The definition is the result of a four-year process involving more than 80 leading experts in addiction and neurology, um, so the article goes. It, it gets pretty in depth here, but it you know it did be, it it was the kind of one of the first times because um, I think this is the article that I was kind of talking about. I've I've read stuff like this, and uh, it states it pretty well in here, uh, but it's more talking about like like bad behaviors, you know, because um, originally you'd think that addiction is just is just like kind of substance, but there's a lot more going on in our brains. Um, you know, it even says like bio psycho socio spiritual illness. <laughs> wow, yeah. So uh, it's a very good read. It's I'll put it. I'll put this article up on the in the show notes as well. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's good to recognize that addiction. You know, either whether or not you think it's like a minor thing, there is uh, there is a addi- ad, uh, addiction traits that you can you know jump into. Uh, you know, whether it's a habit or, or something like that. And I think it's uh yeah, so I I would say I wouldn't say that there's a healthy addiction. I mean, there's people that get they get addicted to running or exercising, and that like consumes them. That is like all that they do and all that they can. It's like the only thing that makes them you know feel better. You know, to be working out you know for three four hours a day that takes precedence over everything over their family. Uh, could get in the way of their job, things like that. Right. So I guess that's how I look at as at, look at an addiction as something that can get in the way of you know. That that's harmful. That can over you know overtake everything in your life. You know. Yeah, it harms you, and not only if it doesn't even you feel like it harms yourself, but the people around you, especially your close ones. You know. Yeah, because if I kept buying movies, you know, I I was you know we'd have no money 
to, you know, feed the kids. Right, exactly. So, and I think it's good to have, you know, in order not, I mean, for a person like me, the, the things that I've done, even recently, I talked to my wife about this, I was like, look, you know what, I need a limit. You need to limit me and you need to call me on it if I'm not staying in the limit. You need to help me. And I think it's, it's you know, it's good to have a good surrounding, you know, a good um, a group of people surrounding you, you know, like family or, or a spouse or something like that. Um, if you're this kind of personality trait. Well, it's interesting, Sean, you know, and maybe this could be a last little discussion too on this stuff, you know, like with, with your situation, you know, like with buying movies, you know, um, do do you think it really matters the, the amount of movies you buy or that you have to buy the movies? Um, because the reason why I say, what if you just bought one a month or maybe one every two months? But there's so that, many, there's you know, so many that come out, Joey. <laughs> well, that's what I'm trying to say. You know, is it really the amount, or is it that you have to? Like, it's, you feel like uh, if you don't buy this, you know, it's you're not, gonna hurt yourself. You know? <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. It's not necessarily amount, and it's uh, it's funny because it's because you know anyone with a, a habit or you know something that that they love, you find reasoning, you know, to spend the money. And for me, it's like, okay, you know, there's movies that I like, and then there's like, well, is it culturally relevant? And maybe it's, or it's, or it's like, uh, like autobiographical. Like a movie comes out that I haven't seen in 20 years that makes me think of a fun time in my life, you know, I'm gonna want that, you know what I mean? Right. So yeah, it's not necessarily about building my numbers, cause I don't care how many I have, and I have too many already. I mean, I'll never watch all these, but it almost feels good to kind of grab onto this piece of, I guess, of me, you know what I mean? Right, no, that makes sense. Um, and to own it, you know. And whether a lot of people, they can just rent it and they're fine. But for for me, for some reason, there's a compulsion to actually own the thing and uh, and tuck it away, you know. Or a uh, you know a new version, a new edition comes out. Uh, you know, yeah, it's not necessarily numbers. It's uh, it's very much like self autobiographical or something that maybe you know, if my kids want to become filmmakers, I have this idea mm-hmm. that someday they may want to be a filmmaker, and there's all this all these special features and all this stuff that they can watch and learn and grow, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's not necessarily a hoarding thing, um, but I'm very, but the thing is like, it's a type, it's something that I'm very much attached to. And if right. they were gone, it would like, you know, it's, it's like I said, like this, uh, this example as an addiction sounds so stupid. And there's someone who's like addicted to, c- the t- to cigarettes that's saying, you guys are idiots, <laughs> you know? Right. No, I understand. But it's a, uh, it's something like they, like if they ever were gone or or were stolen or you know, um, it would like I would be depressed, you know, and it's very sad to say that, but I would definitely maybe slip into depression. <laughs> I understand, man. <laughs> you know, so um, that's where I think like maybe I need to have this under control, because uh, you know, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question, but well, yeah. no, I think you uh, you said it, man. You're just trying to find balance and everything. Yeah. The reason why I was saying that is, say, if you had all the money in the world, you right, know, it, right, right. you it didn't have to worry about you know replacing right. this habit or whatever right. you want to call it to feed your kids. You know, would you still consider this an addiction? You know, um, yeah, probably. In that case, yes, probably. Yeah, yeah, because it's not necessarily about you know. That's why I was saying yeah. if it was the amount, like oh, I got to have this, or if you can't, like you know, wait for a while you know like i look at the more traditional of addiction you know that you have no control uh-huh. you know but with right. a habit you know you are in control of your choice and you can live you know a month without even thinking about this yeah it might you suck because right. you have this habit but 
are you really addicted to these movies? You know, and that's kind of was yeah. trying to understand your yeah. situation. Yeah, you know? and that's that's the funny thing too. It's not necessarily watching them; it's owning them. You know, but like I said, like this could yeah. this could probably be like these types of things could probably be more classified under possibly like a bad habit. You know, it is obsessed. Yeah, like almost an, like an obsession. obsession. Yeah, yeah obsession. not necessarily oh. a, addiction. So, you know, I don't. You know, I don't know if we can really covered. I think we covered addiction and kind of we've de- we've defined it. And yeah, you know. I would say that going through this information, yeah, I probably am not addicted. You know, I probably, you know, cause that's, that's, that's a thing that when people have talked to me about, it, I'm like, I'm, it's like an addiction, you know, and I, even a new coworker of mine, he's, he loves buying movies and he even said this week, like, yeah, man, it's, it's like an addiction, you know, which very well, it could possibly, maybe this habit could lead to addiction. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But, um, it's still something that can be managed, managed and, right. uh, you know, like like for us, we're putting the reins on it. I get a certain amount every payday. That's what I got for the next two weeks. You know, yeah. and if it's if, if there's a you know, save it if I hit whatever, save it, and uh, you know, so it's manageable. So I, I would say that you know what, after reading all the stuff that I've been reading all week, and yeah, you know, I'm not an addict. I could become one, you know, <laughs> if I if I you know let the habit get out of control, but uh, but you know I. I don't know. I think the word addiction should be should be limited to things that are actually serious. You know what I mean? As opposed to saying it's a healthy addiction, because I think addiction in itself is is a major, you know, is a major neuro, you know, can be a major neurological problem. You know, that sh- I think the term addiction should be limited to something that's actually serious and not be you know kind of thrown around like our like we do. And it, it, we do, you know, everyone throws around words that are you know more serious than they are. Or, you know, oh, hey, Sean, I'm starving right now. You know? <laughs> I love this cookie. I love it. Yeah. Exactly. I love chocolate chip chunk cookies. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> anyway, you know, I, I hope our, I hope, you know, all you who are listening, I hope you guys got something out of this. Um, I, I would like to cover, you know, serious addiction, um, in a future show. And if, if it's something, if you're a listener and you actually struggled with addiction, I would love to talk to you about it as a good kind of balance to this you know, to this subject, it'd be good to, to bring this up with someone who's actually, you know, um, struggle with it and overcome it. I would love to talk to you. And if, if, if that's you and you're listening and you want to share your story, definitely hit me up. Sean, S E A N at the AXPX.com. Um, you know, we'd love to, to, to delve into that subject as well. So, um, all right, I'm going to play, uh, our second, uh, our second band here before we leave. um, this band is called The Dandelion War, and uh, the song is called Drifters. It's from the album We Were Always Loyal to Lost Causes. It's a seven-minute song, so sit back, have some coffee, and just relax and listen to the song. It's a good song. Um, and we'll be back right after this. You're listening to the AXPX Podcast. Thank you. 
That was the Dandelion War with Drifters from the album We Were Always Loyal to Lost Causes. And uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. Um, Joey, man, thanks for uh, thanks for co-hosting it, man. I, I I think we bounce well off each other, and uh, it's going to be good uh, good good stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, hopefully, uh, you feel better. Uh, you know, yeah. completely get over your illness, and uh, we can do this more regularly. I know. Um, so I don't know when exactly the next show will be. I'm hoping within the you know in a week, and uh, I'm working on a few things. We'll see what happens, but. Uh, so, uh, hopefully next week, hopefully next week, the show will be brought to you by Charming Beard Coffee. Uh, but in the meantime, you can go to charmingbeard.com, check out their selection. They have two roasts available now. There's a Nicaraguan and an Ugandan, um, that are actually very good. Their official launch is November 1st, and, but I think you can order coffee from their website right now. And if you live in the Salt Lake City, Utah area, you can find their coffee at Tony Caputo's Market and Deli. And if, uh, Tell them that you heard about them on the AXPX podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, the show brought to you by Deep Bum Records. Make sure you check out this week's bands, The Sky Life and The Dandelion War. Uh, order the music, both digital and uh, vinyl and CDs and all that stuff from DeepElm.com. All right, Joey. Uh, I'll talk to you next week, man. Thanks, uh, thanks again. Yeah, well, thank you. Have a good one. All right, and all of you listening, uh, have a great week. I'll talk to you guys next week. Uh you can find me. Oh, oh, we got to plug our Twitters. You can find me on Twitter at the AXPX. Uh, I also have a Blu-ray uh, podcast. Um, you can follow that Twitter. It's the it's a Geek Couch. You can find that at thegeekcouch.com/slash/podcast if you want to hear me talk about my movie obsession. Obsession. And Joey, you're on Twitter, right? Hey, yes, I am. Uh, just simple. My name Joey J O E Y. Last name, Avalos, A-V-A-L-O-S. Awesome. And, of course, you can find the show on Facebook. Uh, like us, uh, facebook.com slash the AXPX. All right, all of you have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Bye. Yeah.